0: Welcome to the Colbycast episode 155. Thank you for joining us. In preparation for Armed Forces Day and in honor of our veterans and active service members, we're releasing two episodes covering military service. Today, Colby's Kristen Pizarro and John Bates, former service members, join us to share their experiences in the military. With great insight into the benefits and challenges of military service, Kristen and John also provide assistance in how to discern whether military service is right for the student and what avenues exist to join should the student determine that service is what God is calling them to. To Kristen and John, our veterans and active service members, thank you for your service. We hope that you'll enjoy the show.
1: Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby, homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age.
0: And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy.
1: Well, we are happy to welcome back a couple of friends of the Colby cast. They've been with us on a number of episodes. We have John Bates, Colby's project manager, and Kristen Pizarro, one of our academic advisors. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Hey, Bonnie. Hey, Steven.
2: Hi, everybody. Happy
3: Easter. Happy Easter.
1: (laughs) Glad to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. Our conversation today is part of our Life After Colby series, which has its own tag on the Colby website so that listeners can check out other episodes we've done that relate to the prospect of life once the Colby days are finished. So our show notes will have a link to that page with the filters. So listeners can check out other, other episodes we've done on the topic. There are a number of them now growing collections. So we're adding to it today and our next episode as well will be a continuance of the conversation we're having today. So that is, uh, relating to aspects of, of discerning military service after the Colby days are finished whether that has been on a student's mind for a long time or has just kind of come up recently or if it has not come up at all, we thought we would discuss that today. We touched on a little bit in a conversation with Celeste Quayar. Several episodes back, I'll link that. Um, she she discussed her own service and and some things around that um, at that time, but we're gonna delve more deeply today. So today we have John and Kristen, as I have said, Let's uh let's hand it over to them so they can tell us a bit about their own service. Um, Kristen, we'll start with you. Would you give us an overview of your military background and experience and and kind of what drew you to that? Sure.
3: Um, I served for five years active duty in the Coast Guard. I went to the Coast Guard Academy for college prior to that. Um, and then I did two years in the Coast Guard reserves. I um kind of stumbled upon the Coast Guard Academy. I wandered into my guidance counselor's office or like the career counseling office um, as a junior. And I was interested in marine biology. I lived in Hawaii. That's where I grew up. um, And he was like, hey, this place, the Coast Guard Academy is actually one of the number one in the nation. And they have a summer program um, and it's called AIM. And it's an introductory, you spend a week there living like you would as a freshman to see if it's something you'd want to do so i applied did the interview process got in did that and i loved it it's up in connecticut and i decided that was where i wanted to go um and so that's kind of started that process and so i ended up going to the academy getting my degree through there and then serving my time active duty
1: so did you have family members who had served in one way or another before that was that familiar to you in some way?
3: Yes. Um, both my grandfathers served, um, one in the Korean war and one in the Vietnam war in the beginning. Um, and then my dad did 30 years active duty in the Navy. That was why we were in Hawaii. So it just, I guess you could say it was in my blood.
1: Yeah. When you went to that summer program, was that your first time traveling that far from home?
3: Yes, because my family was all the way in Hawaii. So I was yeah. really far away and they put me on a plane
1: and I was like okay here <laughs> we go <laughs> yeah that would be yeah okay John what about you
2: Like, hey, thanks for having me on the on this podcast I decided to join the army because I had squandered every prospect and every opportunity I, I had in in public high school uh, I was I was a very below average student, barely passing, barely making the grade. And if it weren't for the grace of the teachers and, and the support of the friends that I made in my senior year, I probably wouldn't have finished. But having no prospects or not building any college prospects or life after high school, uh, I just thought, you know, you know, what could I do? Because I, I certainly didn't know what type of person I was, but what could I do? And the recruiter came and knocking. Um, like, okay, you know, it sounds good. I didn't give it any, any other thoughts. It was the first person to come talk to me and, and it didn't seem like a bad opportunity. And obviously God had put that opportunity in my pathway. So, um, from that, from that moment on, I spent 25 years in the military and retired as a chief warrant officer of five. So I enlisted, but ended up as one of the highest ranking warrant officers in my field. Kristen, you you were, you had military service in your blood and in your family. And I I didn't. I came out of rural Alabama and, you know, a very on the low end of uh let's say low end of the medium class, maybe depends on your perspective. And I didn't learn that my grandpa had, uh, had had been part of World War II until I was getting ready to retire and sorting through all of his things, you know, after his passing. I did, so I didn't know I had that military service in, but I didn't have anyone else to show me the way or like try to talk me into it. I did have a neighbor a friend who he also was in World War II and, I would just talk to him. He really wouldn't say like, hey, you should do this or maybe consider this. I would just talk to him about it. And if he didn't object, I'm like, okay, well, your silence is kind of tacit approval. So I'm going to go join the military. Um, The one thing that the Army taught me throughout throughout is it's problem rich and opportunity rich. And that's where I've really learned to develop who I am and 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 what I was meant to do and, and who I was meant to be. So I've 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 gone from all over the world in 25 years, you you possibly it hit every country and where the military is even occupying or 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 has a presence at. But I've been on both coasts in the United States. I've been to Germany, Korea. Um at one point I served on presidential duty. Uh, and spent four years as a communications officer for the president. Uh, and then afterwards, you just you keep finding new opportunities and working your way up. And I ended working for the chief of staff of the Army, developing concepts and and working on projects that helped advance the military service. Um, I re- my last station was in Virginia, and then this is where we discerned that it was time to give back and do something different for the benefit of our our students and our kids. And we've been, because we're military, we homeschooled the entire time through Colby. And, and thanks to Kristen who turned us on to Colby. And because it was such a great program for our our kids uh, and Colby was experiencing a period of growth because of COVID, the opportunity was placed there again for me. By God, we were looking for advisors. And that's how Chris and I got on.
1: It seems like that military community, that's small. Like we we seem to it's we often say like the Catholic world is so small, we, you know, military seems pretty much like that. So you guys go you go back a ways, right? You friends for a while?
3: Yeah, they were we've we're stationed in the same base together. And Chris and I found each other at PE one day at our homeschool co-op and started talking and then we started, uh, meeting on Tuesdays to say the rosary together with all the the crazy kids running around us as we tried to pray. And, um, yeah. And it's funny, like the, uh, the Hoxies have been to the space and the treats. And so it's transient and yet you make kind of lifelong friendships.
1: And Chris is going to join us for our next conversation. John's wife, Chris, and she's been with us before. So we look forward to talking to her again. Okay. Well, let's have you guys tell us, give us some things to think about. Perhaps we have a someone in our household, a young person who has already voiced an interest in military service of one kind or another, or hasn't yet, but it's just sort of, we're, we're broaching that prospect today. What are some things you guys would point out for us to think about as, as families? Where would we start with something like that? I guess I could go in two different directions
3: and John just jump in if you, you know, think of of something else or so for Academy wise, if you are thinking that you're worried about either money and you aren't sure how you're going to pay for college, if you want something where, you know, you will be focused and stay on track and have a, a set schedule that those were the things that drew me to the academy initially because I grew up in an enlisted family and um we just we didn't have that extra money for college and that was okay. That was I knew that going into it. And so the academy filled several spots for me. They were very like, hey, you know, we pay for, for you to go to college, we pay you while you go to college, and then you have a job right after it. And I those really fit with me. And I am a regimented person anyway. My poor kids. I'm a box checker by nature. I tell my families, um, my advising families that all the time. And I had to kind of be broken of that as I started to homeschool. But um the academy kind of the academies all keep you in a straight line. Like there's not a whole lot of room for straying and that's okay. Like you have to be focused and study um because you don't want to be kicked out. <laughs> um <laughs> True. So okay. those are some things to consider. And I, I don't have very much um, insight on the enlisted side other than I think some people are looking also still for some some regimented and they want to make sure that they, I don't know, have a path to follow.
1: Yeah. Does that seem pretty common uh, trait among those who, who come to the academies? They're looking, they thrive in that regimented structure or they need it? They recognize their need for it? Yes, either. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Now I know when I was a when I was a younger high school student I was thinking, "Oh, I'd like to be an aeronautical engineer and I was looking at the Air Force Academy." And at that time at least I was a little overwhelmed by the amount of work that I needed to do because it's like, "Oh, I should probably try to become an Eagle Scout and I need to get a representative to write a recommendation or something." Is it still like that in some of the branches or does it vary?
3: So I chose the one academy that does not require a nomination. The Coast Guard Academy is—I'm going to put some bragging rights here. Uh, It is one of the hardest in the nation to get into, and like it's up there with Harvard. Um, And part of it is because you get on your own merit, and that'll—it's like pasted all over the the website of the Coast Guard Academy because you don't have to ask for a Senate um, nomination. So the others, all the other academies, do require it. but I wouldn't let that deter you. Like if you are determined to do an academy, ask or reach out, like even use the advisors and we can help you figure out who to talk to. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do that. So yes, they they still do require that, that nomination from a senator, but they're available. So, but the Coast Guard Academy does not. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, I think that if I could, Kind of dissect a little bit of what Kristen was said there's actually multiple pathways to get into the military and the academy is one of them and, and one of the best ways of getting in um, but not there's only so many slots to get into each academy each year and it's very competitive as Kristen said especially when you have to seek out a, uh, a letter of recommendation from your representative and with things being so competitive, just like with all, all these top green colleges lately, you know, you're starting that journey back in 10th grade of your high school year and not a lot of students are still trying to find themselves and figure out what type of person they want to be. And not all of them are that determined and that focused and that assured of where they want to go. So what I would say is don't be deterred if you can't. Follow the the academy track because there's always ROTC within multiple many colleges around the nation. Most most colleges have an ROTC program or military academies like a, a VMI, a Virginia Military Institute, and each state has a military institute, I believe. Please don't fact check me on that, but it's it's more of a direct application process versus representative intervention and this massive uh portfolio that you've amassed for yourself to to make you the best candidate. Military institutes are a way to go. ROTC is a way to go. And if you can't get in through that way, then there's always the enlisted route. And right now in, in in our current environment, an enlisted pathway is very lucrative to somebody who may not have who may not have the money to put into a college education yet. So they're they're offering bonuses left and right, even more so than when I joined. The enlisted pathway allows you to learn a trade. And as I was saying earlier in, in the intro, opportunities will present themselves because large bureaucracies are inherently problem rich. And if you can tackle big problems, then those opportunities will open new doors for you. So there are other pathways to officership or maybe in staying enlisted is what you want to do.
3: Officer candidate schools, another way to do that, that is kind of similar to, to ROTC, right? You get your degree first and that can be community college in the beginning, finishing up at a four-year university. And then you apply to do this. It's a six-week Um, I don't know that it's six weeks everywhere, but for the Coast Guard, it's like six weeks. They do it up at the academy and they train you how to be an officer and then you go off into the fleet. So that is also like there are many pathways to get into the military and to have a military career. I mean, we even have we have the chaplaincy corps, right. So if you are discerning to be a priest, you can become a priest and then join the military that way and serve military as a priest. You can become a doctor or a nurse and serve in the physician's corps and become and go in the military and you hop around services that way. I mean, there are many pathways and that can get confusing, but at the same time, if one way doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that that is the doors are shut forever. I think, I think that's probably what John was trying to, to get at as well.
0: Yeah, it was i I remember some of my college classmates kind of getting ready, and maybe it was officer, but they were starting to do push-ups and do some running and things like that. is that is is that like the officer sort of training that you need to do that, or is that generally there's some sort of physical requirements that you're going to have to meet?
2: I would say that if you're discerning the military in any pathway in any field, start working on your physical fitness now. Uh, there was a recent there are recent reports that uh, the military writ large has problems with recruiting because so many kids who are joining are are so out of shape that it's taking longer to get them into the basic shape. Uh, I would say just start now. I mean, you should always focus on your health and you should always try to improve your physical fitness. But if you're seriously discerning the military in any way, shape, or form, start working on those push-ups, sit-ups, and and running
1: and we can count that for high school physical education credit with with our colby enrollment right okay
2: <laughs> absolutely most recruiting stations especially if you go enlisted your first step if you're not going direct through a, a military academy is a recruiting station and those recruiting stations are all often multi-service so it's an armed force career center and either of the services will tell you when when you're when you're interested like hey let's Let's start meeting more regularly let's start working on our physical fitness together let's start working on on forming those habits that will make you successful to get through that first that initial stage of military service
1: okay
2: when when i first joined i had never ran more than a mile at any given time when i first joined and it was such a shock because that was the very first thing we did it was it was just completely early in the morning we're learning how to like dress in our in our uniforms and the very next thing was all right we're going on a run and here i am just sucking wind the entire time and like side stitch you know like okay I, I can't believe this is what i'm doing my legs hurt i had never ran before and it was such a shock so get started early if that's the pathway you're considering <laughs> Kristen's nodding her head.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm like, I actually don't have any more words to add to that. I could add stories, <laughs>
1: but they're not relevant. Like, <laughs> yes, get started early. <laughs> so what do you all see as the benefits of a military career? I think that for me, the
3: benefits were and are I learned self-discipline. I learned um, problem solving skills, how to think outside the box, like to see a problem, not just as what I've been handed, but how that problem then affects the bigger cog, so to speak. Um, and then learning how to work in teams and work in teams effectively, learning how to get outside my comfort zone. So things that maybe didn't come naturally don't come naturally to me. Um getting into those and so for me that is i spent a lot of time i was a a naval engineer and had to talk to a lot of contractors and learn different ships and talking to contractors who know more than i do and recognizing that that is a limitation that i have that i because i'm not specialized in all the different types of knowledge learning how to leverage that and say okay tell me how to do this and reaching out and recognizing that it's okay that I had that limitation, that that was why they were there. That was, they were there to help. Um, And so I I don't know. I don't know if that is a generational thing, just having a hard time, not having all of the info, not being right. Who doesn't want to be right all the time Um, and realizing that that's okay, that that was why we were in a team. So those are just some of the benefits that I mean, yes, having a, a consistent pay is nice and, you know, all of those benefits and having decent health care. And those are also good things. But those were like the the character traits that I felt were really beneficial for me.
2: I agree with everything Kristen just said, the, the character traits and character development at large is just there are some of the the greatest patriots that I've worked with who have came into military service serious about what they were doing and why they were there. And, you know, you just, you can't help but to admire how patriotic and, and how, how values driven these, these people are. And and they, so I guess that would be one example. One benefit is you're exposed to people who will just make you better. Just by mere presence, you will be better because you're around people who, who have the the best interests of the country in mind, who exemplify values, and and it it helps you grow, it helps you grow yourself, to emulate some of those those values and and some of that patriotism. There's also the fringe benefits like health care and and a steady job. There's no steadier job than the military service in this world. Let me tell you. Um, I'll keep going back to it. There're just opportunities abound. If you are disciplined and you know how to solve problems, you can do and go almost anywhere because the military will take in take in numbers because we need numbers to 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 rightfully defend our country. But the best of us are the ones that learn to solve problems and solve bigger and bigger problems as we go. Um, so learning how to be disciplined, solve those problems and improve the organization is a major benefit. And then there's always the fact that it's the military is supposed to be reflective of our, of our society and coming from rural Alabama, Florida, you don't get a whole lot of view of other cultures. When you're thrown right into the mixed, and you learn to work as a team with someone from New York or California or Washington and Midwest, all of those differences, you learn to appreciate those differences, but, all, but at the same time, those differences start to not matter as much as you might have once thought, because you're forming as a team to work together, regardless of your differences. Differences make you, make you better, but they don't actually matter the most. It's accomplishing the mission as a team.
3: That was so beautifully said. I just love that. Um, yeah, I was, the only thing I was thinking also to add was that the military sets a high bar and you rise to the occasion. That's, I mean, that's if you want to continue to succeed and have a successful career, you rise to the bar rather than trying to bring the bar down to you. So they've got their standards and you rise to meet them.
2: Absolutely. Th-
1: that's an interesting comment you made earlier, Kristen, about, um, uh, the thinking outside the box. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll just throw out a couple of questions or even maybe it's just one question, but how can you think outside the box in an organization like that? How do you, how does that work when you are, when there is that structure in place that you mentioned also, how do those coexist?
2: So, so how do you improvise or think outside the box when you're taught to follow the orders and
3: structure? Yeah. Like, so I can give you an example. Maybe that's the best. Okay way to think of it. It was just something that um, as I was talking, I was like, oh, I remember the time when we had a ship that was stranded off the coast of Florida with a broken engine and they needed a part that was going to have to be dropped to them by Hilo." So I had to figure out one. The part was nowhere near Florida, which is where they were. Um, So I had to find the part. Here's another thing to know about the Coast Guard. Most of our ships are antiquated, so they don't make a lot of the parts anymore. So I had to find the part and then I had to figure out how to get someone to come pick it up where it was and get it onto a, it ended up having to go on like a two seater plane to where, to the point where the helo was that the helo could then get the part and drop it off, right? So figuring out all of, it's all within the structure of what you can do, but it's okay, this part, I need this part. This piece has to get there. How do I find it? How do I? Okay, well, I can't just drive it down there. I can't just they can't wait five days for the plane, you know, on UPS to get there. So how do I improvise within the constructs that I've been given? How do I then say, okay, it's necessary. Like this is a a situation that needs to get there. How do I make sure that it happens? Okay.
2: So to to that question, the military will teach you your fundamentals it will list it when you join the military you're going to learn the foundation of being in this organization just like onboarding with any organization this is this is our culture this is our normal work duty this is your uniform that you wear this is how you it render respect to superiors this is how you demand respect from subordinates um You understand that you're part of a hierarchy. All those things are fundamental to the military organization at large. So it's establishing those habits uh, within the organizational construct, right? Now, when it comes to thinking outside the box, the military has this thing called commander's intent and mission intent, where the commander will convey to subordinates and junior leaders, this is what I would like to happen. Kind of like how we do in in Colby. I want to make our customer experience better. And they will rely on the, the professional military judgment of the commanders and subordinates beneath them to figure out how to achieve what the commander is asking for. So that's exactly what Kristen was talking about. The intent is to support that ship or that boat out in sea. And Kristen used her, our best judgment and improvisation to find a solution to that problem that met the intent. So what, what I would say is the military today is, is not Nazi Germany or or Russia, the Russian military in the forties in World War II where you do what I say or you die. It's, we're, we're part of a team, we're part of an organization and I'm gonna give you general guidance and, and objectives to meet. And you do what's necessary to take care of your people in the structure of the military that we've developed in you foundationally to achieve the mission that I'm giving you. And that's what's beautiful about it. There's not one way to get something done. There are many ways to get many things done. It's just using your resources the best in accordance with the intent that you've been given.
0: That's really impressive because that's like what all of the you know management or organizational books that I've that I've enjoyed talk about is is like if you just have one person who's saying you do this you do that you do that you know it's you're only as good as that one person whereas in that method you suddenly when you're empowering somebody like, here's, here's my intent, you, you figure it out now, then you get to utilize all these different strengths. So that's, that's pretty impressive that they've worked with that. Uh, the,
2: of, of course, there are times where direct leadership is required. You know, when you're in, in the heat of battle, you need to follow your leader's instructions because the leader is the nexus of the team and he's organizing the the pieces on, on the chessboard so to speak, but 90% of the time it's, it's improv in accordance with intent. And you, that's that's where the problem rich environment gives you these opportunities. Like, Hey, my, my commander wanted this done. He didn't say how to do it or where to do it and in what way, but I got it done creatively. And that opens up other opportunities for more problems created to creatively solve.
3: On, oh, you're
2: so eloquent. That was that just came across so lovely. Yes. yes. <laughs> what's what's funny, Kristen, is uh this wasn't me coming out of high school at all. Okay. And so the army helped develop me into this eloquent speaker and, <laughs> and talker and thinker. Uh, I would have never gotten that had I just joined the workforce out of out of high school barely. And what, what was I? I'm working at a restaurant. I'd probably still be working as some line cook or dishwasher. You know, there's, there's no need for a strategic thinker as a line cook. You just do what you're asked to be, asked to be done. So the military does afford that
3: benefit. That's funny. That's what my dad was also before he joined the Navy. He was a line cook.
1: (laughs) So just like thinking about college or any other path after Colby, I find myself wondering the same about the military with regard to, you know, culture or kind of how our Colby students who we've formed through, you know, all these many years and what that will be like for them going into that environment, just as I would in any other context. So what are your thoughts there?
2: If you're thinking about it, go to your parish. I guarantee you, you have veterans in your parish and and seek them out. They're more than likely going to be part of the Knights of Columbus or uh, Catholic daughters um, if you if you can't find one within your parish to help answer your questions or, or mentor you in some of these things, then uh, go to a local VFW or any one of these these veterans organizations. Their people are more than happy. they love talking about their military service because it's something to be proud of and most people are proud of it. There, there are things that I'm not too proud of in my military service, but overall, my my general feeling and sentiment is I'm very proud of it. I'm also very humble and don't talk about it. A lot of people are like that. So in in these VFWs and in your parish, they they kind of you have to ask them and pull them out of themselves because humility is one of those one of those values they've been taught over time. So pull them out, seek them out. They'd be more than happy to talk to you
0: it's kind of my experience because um my grandfather was in World War II in Korea my father was actually drafted into the army in the early 70s i believe um so very different sort of perspectives there with you know but they were always part of like the the local american legion so they kind of instilled this this um respect for for military, for people who are risking their lives, putting, giving up their lives for our country, and so there was that was strongly instilled. But then my father also had the experience of being with a bunch of drafted guys going into the army, and he was kind of like, yeah, maybe not the military, but uh, yeah. When you were talking about that though, too, John, I remember my wife's grandfather was also in World War II but it wasn't really until my daughter was even kind of in her teenage years that he started talking about his experience there which was which was one ended up being wonderful for her so and for us too because she she sat down with him and she was in a journalism class or something and interviewed him and he was very uh just talked about everything that had been going on but it ended up being i think good for him as well to have somebody really reach out because it taken years, but then he was able to kind of talk about some of the things.
1: So, especially for the younger or the newer, the newer folks to the military ranks, what's it like practicing one's faith?
3: I would be lying if I didn't say that it was hard, especially in the beginning. Um, and as a, you know, really still a teenager going to college and having somewhat of a college experience. Um it can be hard. That first year at the academy, um, Sundays are like your only days to relax. And so there in the summertime, it was like the only time that you got to go anywhere else was when you went to church. So in the summer, that was they saw a huge influx and then it drops off during the year because it was the only time that Revley didn't play at six o'clock in the morning. Um so they would sleep in. Right. And that, so it does, it's that temptation is there. And I, I think the stronger your foundation, the, the easier it is to continue to follow your faith. It really doesn't matter what you do after high school, you have to own your faith. So if you are just not strong and you go to a regular college and don't do the military, you're still going to find that to be a temptation. Um, So I'm not sure that the military is different or unique in that. I I think that Colby education as a whole sets you up for great structure and following, you know, set pathways. I think that the military has made a shift in recent years, even since I got out away from using like being accepting of faith within the everyday. So yes there are chapels on the base and you will find good communities there but when you are new and maybe don't have a family yet I think those those students may find that it is it's more challenging than they than they expected um because there is that it's almost like a taboo you don't mention religion in the office and I don't think it was like that when my grandfather's were in maybe if John, do you have anything to?
2: Yeah, I think that what Kristen, what you said you you have to be, you have to be deliberate, and you have to own your faith if you want it, if you want it to survive military service. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the right way of putting it either. But you have to you have to own your faith, and you have to seek it out. You you need to go into it understanding that the military is different than the corporate world there are no such thing as accommodations for you to take the holy day of obligation off to go to church if you have a mission then the mission comes first there there there's also no real expectation of having weekends if you have something else going on so working weekends you're 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 basically a salaried soldier and if I have to work weekends and I have to work late at night, you just need to get that prepare yourself for that. But, like Kristen said, in colleges you, you would have to do the same thing. and they have Newman centers around all around a, a lot of the a lot of my uh, friends and family with kids discerning college, that's one of their major uh, asks is, do you have a Newman Center and are you a Newman Guide College? So at least that way you go in with the expectation that there there are some type of religious accommodations for your faith. In the military, the way that it presents itself is there is a chapel on every military base, and each unit is typically afforded a chaplain. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a Catholic priest or a Protestant uh, pastor. It, It comes in all shapes and sizes because you have backgrounds of all all faiths um but there is always generally there is always a chapel on every military base you're going to go to where you can go and exercise your faith typically on on Sundays um if you're of the Islamic faith I, I think that in in Jewish faith they accommodate for that as well for different days of worship uh like like Kristen said <laughs> I came came up in a generation where you didn't talk about money or money politics or religion, right? Those are things that you kept to yourself. So it's it's akin to the don't ask, don't tell policies of the '90s, and you face that today anywhere you go. Just don't talk about religion because you're just inviting the devil to present himself through other people in other ways. But still, make an effort. Still own it. Still go out there and do it because you have to be a soldier for Christ uh, if that's who you are. And if that's who you the type of person you want to be, um, you got to own it and you got to go seek it out. There are things available for you to exercise your faith, but also understand that there's not an expectation that it's not going to be on your terms, but it'll be on the military's terms.
3: Yep. When you, I don't know, John, when you deploy, when we get underway, we don't get underway with a chaplain. So we do Sunday service and it's usually, you know, there's sometimes a trained lector that can at least do the readings, but like we didn't have the Eucharist underway. Um, so it just, and it's, you know, carrying a rosary in your pocket and wearing your, your cross around your neck but tucked into your uniform you know small things that can keep god close without within the constructs i guess of the- right
2: the um every and i can only really say this from the point of view of the, of the army um i know that we have an organization whose job it is to determine the requirements for chaplains in every unit you know what at what place in the in the organizational hierarchy, do we place a chaplain to cover this many people and in, in, in this type of mission? So um the higher I've been fortunate enough to deploy with with several chaplains who I consider very close friends that were method one was Methodist and one was Lutheran. and their given job is to be that pastor or 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 to be a priest if you have a, a Catholic priest with you. But the job on, on the ground is to be a counselor. Uh, so they're there to help you through issues and problems of, of exercising and dealing with your faith. So they're there to act as a counselor and, and a friend. And I, I think it's beautiful, right? You could always turn to your priest when you're in need of a friend or in your need of help, wherever they may be.
0: When you're saying that, it made me think of you know what like either missionaries or people you know we're so lucky normally in in America here in most areas where you do have a church that's there in easily driving you can easily drive to and receive the sacraments at least every Sunday, but it, you know, I guess you that wasn't always the case, especially before cars and things like that where you might be be too far so i guess it's important to keep that in mind i guess if you're going into the military that you're going to have to do your best and it's not necessarily just going to be as easy
2: as it was before and if if you're strong in your faith and you're serious about your faith then there are prayers that you say in the absence of being able to receive the eucharist right i've had to do that many a time. think about what we did during covid where we weren't allowed to go to in-person services uh, there there were a lot of things we had we had to improvise on given the the environment you you face those same challenges no matter where you're at but the majority of the time you're in a at a location where you can access service routine services uh, routine Catholic services and receive the sacraments
1: okay well Kristen you you mentioned this earlier about how Kobe would kind of serve well someone who has gone into military service. Would you, would you expound on that a bit? What would a, a a student who has come up, someone with this Colby education, what, what about military service would be appealing, familiar? How would Colby serve that person entering that next phase of life? Sure. I, I really think the classical model
3: of education fits well with the military. Classical schooling teaches you not what to think, but how to think. And I think that foundation is just, it's perfect for the military. Um, It lines up really well. And Colby, especially, I feel like the discipline that you need as a homeschool student to get through your studies will benefit you really no matter what you choose, but it definitely will benefit you um, to be disciplined in the military, no matter what route you take to get into the military. And even just some of the subjects that you will study will help you to maybe understand a little bit of how like the inner workings work with the military, right? Like even just studying some of the old, that whole phrase, you know, if you don't um, know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Students get a really good basis with Colby education, understanding history. And that does play into the military because that's exactly what the military is trying to not do is repeat mistakes of the past and to train and to be ready. So I do think that it just really sets you up well.
2: Yes. If, if anything, the military strives to be historically informed as that's what Kristen was saying, historically informed of, of both culture and past wars. So if you don't know what culture you're working with, because we're, we're a global military these days. If you don't know what culture you're dealing with and their history, then you're going to face a lot of other challenges that you may not anticipate. Uh, I I think Colby's education is second to none because it teaches you how to, gives you an opportunity to learn how to think and not what to think. There There are hundreds of thousands of jobs in the military where if you know the type of tech you know technology or specific skill you want to grow into you can go into that if you want to learn to be in cybersecurity or IT or or or, or anything logistics you can learn how to do those things because they're going to teach you what to do in, in those instances but if you want to be a professional military soldier in understanding how to think in the historic context giving your 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 current environmental context as well you're going to be so much more equipped uh, better equipped to handle any problems that you face both culturally and bureaucratically organizationally
1: okay well as we're coming to the end of this, this first episode in this series, Kristen, as a Colby advisor, what might you leave with students who are interested in investigating this path? Further? So
3: for those who are interested in investigating whether a military career might be something that they want to pursue, I do recommend you can either walk into a recruiter's office and get more information, but just start researching. And don't just look at if you say, okay, well, I want, I want to go into the Air Force. Well, there are actually pilots in all of the forces. So go look at every single branch and look to see what their requirements are. Look to see what you want to do. And it might be different, right? So I said in the beginning that I joined the Coast Guard wanting to be a marine biologist. My degree is in electrical engineering. So just because you start out that way doesn't mean you'll end up that way. Um, But so start to do there. If you're interested in an academy, Every single academy has that program that I did for the Coast Guard Academy between your junior and your senior year. Look into it, apply to them. Even if it's maybe not an academy that's the top of your list, try to see if you can go there just to to look into it and continue to work hard on your studies. Prioritizing good grades might be worth it. Um, I'm not saying that it's the only thing. If you are doing your best, that's the most important thing, Um, but maybe not giving a half effort.
1: Okay, super, John. Anything you want to add to that?
3: Yeah,
2: I, I like when when Kristen said to uh, that there are pilots in all services because the there's a there's a flip side to that as well. Sometimes people get this idea that I'm going to join the Air Force because I want to fly, but that's a small fraction of the Air Force because there's a a larger tail that supports those pilots. So if you're interested in the military service and you have a certain set of skills or or dreams or desires, then you need to research the different career fields that the services can offer you. If I wanted to fly helicopters, uh, rotary wing aircraft, then you could go into any service. Uh, There are just different ways of getting to that. Each service is different. I could go directly out of high school into a flight program with the Army. Whereas, if I joined the Marines, you would have to be a Marine first, and you can you have to go through this whole large process the The military recognizes that it has a problem in recruiting because they they have this issue that's arising. I don't think it's a real issue. It's just the nature of our cultures uh, across the states is that you are more inclined to join the military. If you have someone, if your, your parent is of the military. So like my kids would be more inclined to join the military and that's creating what, what they've termed a caste system type type problem in military discernment. I would, I would just say it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be families of service members in this lineage of, of people who have served. Speak somebody out who knows or has experience, whether it's good or bad, because you could learn from both. the 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 bad experiences of those who were drafted into Vietnam informed those who joined as part of the all all volunteer force in the eighties, and still reverberate today. Uh, you're going to have to. <laughs> I, I keep giving the same about. You're just going to have to embrace the problems that you're presented with because there are going to be many and there are new problems compounding daily with our current set of cultural issues. Uh, You're just going to have to embrace some of those problems and hold true to yourself. Stop at a recruiter. You have to understand a recruiter is like a car salesman. They're trying to make the sale and they're going to tell you, they're not going to lie to you but they're not going to tell you the bad that goes along with it. Their job is to sell the service. Um, so if you go into it informed of the mindset that they're trying to sell you on something, just remain skeptical and think about what they're selling. Don't just go, hey, I want to be in the Air Force and only go talk to the Air Force recruiter like I did with the Army. Go talk to multiples, see what they have to offer, and see what they have to say about the other services. Sometimes that's more illuminating uh, because, oh, he's going to offer you this, but I can offer you this. You're shopping for a car. You're you're shopping for a career at this point. So stay true to yourself. Stay true to your faith. Go find some people who have been there, whether good or bad, and uh, shop around. Don't take the first job that you're offered like I did. It worked out well for me, but I can't say that it worked out well for everyone. Like Kristen was saying, uh, she's an electrical engineer uh, by education. Uh, I started out in avionics, uh, you know, a support person on on aircraft. I ended up as as a uh, a warrant officer in communications, but mostly as a strategist writing for for the military. And before that, before that was presidential duty, which how do you you can't train for that? You just you grow into something like that. So, just just take take those initial jobs with a grain of salt because they could lead to to many other possible futures and other possible careers. Use your advisors. Call us. We'll we'll talk to you about it if you're if you're thinking about it, or if you're a parent, if you're a parent who has a child thinking about it, set up an advisor appointment, and and we can just talk to you about it. And the benefit of that is you have the added benefit of being able to look at your students' records and, and you know what classes they're doing well in or not and help form a pathway together. I, I do think it is better overall if the parent isn't, not, not necessarily controlling, but is involved in the process. Your your, your your job as a parent is to grow your student and be prepared for that handoff, to, to best prepare them for that handoff into adulthood. So do it together. Make sure you're both in the same sheet of music and, uh, and set up an appointment with your advisor. Kristen's phone is standing by.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, John and Kristen, thank you so much for coming to share your experience with us and your wisdom that you've gleaned over the years and, and through all your service. And we so appreciate that. And and this time you've spent with us, we will have some links in our show notes as usual for things that came up today. Thanks again, you two. We'll look, talk to you soon. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Subscribe to the ColbyCast on your
0: favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review and as always feel free to email us at podcast@colby.org
1: mary our mother pray for us st maximilian colby pray for us ad maiorem dei gloriam